So this is, uh, uh, we've got a little three-part series going on at the moment uh, around 2 Peter again, being the people of God in a post-Christian society. We've been revisiting this theme all the way through this academic year. Dave spoke last week, I'm speaking today, and then Paul's going to finish off uh, next week. So a good number of years ago, really quite a, a long time ago, I uh, came out the block of flats I was living at the time, uh, went downstairs, got in my car and drove to Drummond, our church building. It wasn't very far away. As I was driving along, I realised there was a police car behind me, which always makes you nervous, doesn't it? You always think, so I put my seatbelt on and did things like that, you know. So it always makes you think, indicate and, uh, and don't swear at other drivers. And all that is you drive carefully along. Anyway, the police car kept following me. I pulled into the car park at Drummond and the police car pulled in and two officers leapt out quite dramatically. I felt a bit over the top, I thought, to be honest. And um, one of them came up to me and said, do you know why we've stopped you? And I'm thinking, you haven't stopped me. I've just pulled into the car park I was coming to. And that's what I was thinking. I said, uh, uh, no, officer, I, I do not know how, why you've stopped me. They took my details and car and, you know, checked it was mine and all the rest of it. They said, we're monitoring drug activities on your estate. Do you know anything about that? I'm thinking, what a, what a stupid question. Like, if I did, am I going to tell you? I mean, it's just like, what is going on? So that's what I said. Uh, no, officer, I don't. <laughs> then he says, he changed tactic. He's trying to catch me out, this very, very, very clever copper. What's that? I'd got out the car with a car radio. Now, you've got to understand, I'm in my 20s at the time, so this whole thing is not looking great. I wasn't presenting such a mature persona as clearly I do now. So this young 20-year-old got out <laughs> the car with this car. What's that? Like, I mean, he can see it's a car radio. I'm thinking, it's a car radio, stupid. And I said, it's a car radio officer. Where'd you get it? Now I'm getting really, it's getting bullshit. I'm, th- I'm really um, thinking, I should say, I stole it. What's it to you? but I didn't, that would have been a lie anyway. I said, um, it was a present. And then I, I said, I work here, do you want me to go and get somebody? You know, to ver- it was just a slightly bizarre conversation. They said, no, fine, and, and drove off, which I thought was a good job, because if I'd have gone into the building and say John Woody was working there at the time, or Dave or Paul had been there, they'd have probably denied all existence, <laughs> not as existence, I mean, just for a laugh. Looks a dodgy guy to me, officer, I'd cuff him and take him right now. It probably wouldn't have helped. But anyway, thankfully, they didn't want that. I think in, in that conversation, I discerned correctly that the, the officer had no sense of humour at the time, and actually a straightforward, submissive response to all his questions was the right one, rather than all the slightly more antagonistic, sarcastic comments that were revolving around my head at the time of the encounter. And we're looking at a passage today uh, where the Bible encourages us to be submissive to the authorities around us. And if we could put it up, Sarah, we'll look at that, uh, at that passage. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. 
So this is the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, I'd like to go over um, some, th- this was written in a, a New Testament letter, probably just over, just under, sorry, 2,000 years ago, probably AD 63, AD 64. The situation the Christians in the letter are facing, in many ways, is different to ours. So I'd like to spend some time looking at how the context is different. Obviously, we're all called to submit, but how the context is different. I'd then like to take some time to look at actually how the contexts have some similarities, their context and our context, and then finally just look at some areas for spiritual growth for us that will help us follow the, you know, the, the scripture here and what God wants for us in terms of submission. So, difference. How is our context different from the context these Christians were facing? Well, I think there's two things uh, we can say. First of all, the recipients of this letter, uh, Peter, as the guy that wrote it, why it's called One Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, quite well known. I'm sure many people are aware of that. He's writing to Christians um, in a number of different churches. But it seems like uh, basically loads of them were slaves, or at least at the low end of society. And in fact, next week, the passage that we're looking at speaks directly about the relationship between slaves and masters, uh, but very much in the context of the slaves' response. So they're, they're slaves. Slavery in those days, I'm sure Paul will say more next week, not exactly like you can picture slaves today. It was a little bit more like a, a work situation, you might say. But still, you didn't really have any rights. So there's guys that had no rights. Submission wasn't much of an option to them. And although the con- you know, the, this passage is obviously written to encourage submission, I think it's worth drawing out that for many of us in this room, of course, we're clearly not slaves, and although we might not be emperors either, we, we do have human authority. Many of you in this room carry human authority in your workplaces, and uh, you're not at the bottom end of society, you might say, but you have God-given authority. And so it's a bit of an aside to the thrust of the passage, But please, as you go to work tomorrow morning or or whenever you go to work, please know that you are those who have authority from God. So it says here that, you know, submit whether to the emperor or to governors who are sent by him. There's a genuine sense because all authorities come from God. And we'll look at a passage in Romans to say that again in a second. Therefore, you and the human authority you have, you have a genuine sense which you are sent by God. And be encouraged in that. Be strengthened in your workplace in that. You have um, a calling on you in that context, in that immediate place. And so God is with you at work, if you like, wants you to do a good job. You have authority. Um, it sounds a bit stark and extreme, doesn't it? To punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right, two extremes then. But obviously you've got authority to do a job and to be a blessing in that area, in whatever area of work you are in. Now, say, that's obviously not clearly the thrust of the passage, if you like. And the reason why Peter uh, wrote it, he was writing for uh, Christians to be submissive. Now, the other difference, a clear difference in the the context there, is the fact that these guys live in essentially a dictatorship. The emperor, or the Caesar, is probably Nero in that time. He doesn't have the greatest reputation from a Christian point of view, as known uh, probably not quite at this stage, but goes on to be genuinely persecuting Christians, killing Christians, uh, the lion's den stuff, not Millwall, and you know, burn, uh, the, uh, you know, burning Christians as um, uh, you know, candles in parties and stuff like that, some of the stories that surround Nero. So it's a pretty harsh and tough environment to say to an authority like that, 
a dictatorship so extreme and there's persecution on the horizon for these guys, the one that ends up being so tough for Christians to say, submit. And clearly that's not our situation. Now just before we think about our situation, just like so I think it's worth reflecting, isn't it, on our hearts that, um, that actually that context of very uh, persecution against Christians, even at uh, an official level, many of our brothers and sisters around the world are in those situations where Christianity um, is, you know, is the society and the laws are very much against it. And I'm no expert on these things, but we will have brothers and sisters, the, the Bible says, in North Korea and Syria and Iran. And can I say, it's worth us remembering the persecuted churches and praying for them. And it's an amazing thing when the Bible, in those contexts, is saying you submit. Because some of the authorities out there are pretty horrible and pretty awful. And, uh, and yet the Bible's saying submit. And so Nero and the emperors in those days, it probably wasn't the greatest place, but still the whole sense is, is submit. Now for us, of course, we do not live in those contexts, praise God. We live in the democracy. Uh, democracy, it has been said, is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. You know who, you know who said that, don't you? Somebody? Winston Churchill, thank you. So Winston Churchill apparently said that about democracy. I like this one he said on it as well. The best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter. So, which came up quite a bit in the Brexit kind of in different... Anyway, we shouldn't go there. But, but actually, praise God, we live in a democracy... And for all that you might be fed up that we're in a democracy and another election could even be looming or whatever, in so many ways it's a, a, a good situation. We have an awful lot of freedoms, don't we? And we have an awful, uh, or since I say awful, and therefore we have uh, you know, freedom to express ourselves, uh, have opinions, and our submission to the authorities of this nation, you know, to the laws of the land, the government, local authorities, police, whatever, it, it isn't, doesn't have to look like, it would have looked like for these guys submitting when they're slaves and it's a dictatorship and it's kind of total. But we do live in a society, I believe, that questions authority almost instinctively, and, and I would say in some ways wrongly. Um, we we are suspicious of authority. We feel like authority is there to almost be questioned and to be challenged, rather than an instinctive response to submit to it. And so often the Bible paints a picture that authority is something instinctively for Christians to, to submit to, not to question and argue with and to, you know, to say, you know, to, to argue against. And it's a challenge for all of us then. And I think when we look at this verse, submit yourselves to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, what that's supposed to look like in terms of our life and our attitude. Because we do live in a democracy. We are allowed opinions. That's not, not submissive. That's the society we live in. Yet are we more products of the culture at large and the, the way people will speak of authority in a derogatory fashion, the way they will critique it in unhelpful ways, or are we more a product of the word of God and God's life for us uh, and have a submissive attitude towards things? So clearly our submission won't have to look like the guys that Peter wrote to exactly the same. But it's a hard issue for us. It needs to be worked out and thought about. And I think so often we have probably lapsed into just the way the culture around us goes and maybe haven't let the word of God shape us like it should and it could. What's the culture in your workplace? 
What's the culture around responses to your boss and bosses and the culture of the company? Is it all healthy? Is it all good? Are you just ending up lining up with that in unhelpful ways? Or are you challenging yourself and thinking, what does it look like for me to be submissive? Not agreeing with everything, necessarily. Not necessarily standing up where things aren't right, or even in, you know, in just unjust situations. But how does it look with a submissive heart, obedient to God in that sense, when you're going to the benefits office? and life's hard, and somebody's got some authority over you on the end of the decision-making, on the phone or whatever, and they don't seem to care two hoots about your situation. They just seem to be, and, yet, and it's frustrating, and everything in you is riled with the way you've been treated, and life seems unfair, maybe. But are you submitting, ultimately, to God and them saying, no, God's in control, I can trust him, I need to fight my cause in good ways, but there's a way of doing that is demonstrating in my heart as a submissive thing. Because God calls us to submission. It says this, submit yourselves for his sake. Ultimately, what's in question is our obedience to God, not our obedience to human authorities in that sense. It's for the Lord's sake that we submit to every human authority. And for the Lord's sake, therefore, it's important we think what our heart attitudes of our submission is like. And I'd like to just read a, a passage from... Um, uh, Romans 13, which just in, in draws out some of this stuff that Peter's written. It's kind of like a parallel passage, if you like. And yeah, so, so Romans 13, chapters 1 to 7, I just think puts it again in a great context for us. Uh, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay your taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. And again, it's in a context that's much stronger. Our authorities don't carry the sword for no reason as such. It's more metaphorical, you might say, but clearly for conscience sake, for the Lord's sake, we are called to be those that submit to the authorities around us. Now, what's similar for the context these guys are in and our context? Well, I'd say the reason, sometimes think, why was Peter writing this passage to the Christians here? Well, it seems at least one of the reasons is he is concerned for, if like, the welfare of the churches, the Christian group, and for the w their ability, the platform from which they are going to be witnesses and evangelize the society around them. They, so they weren't a powerful bunch of Christians in that sense. They were probably more uh, slaves uh, and at the lower end of society. And they are in a minority. The culture around them is quite antagonistic and harsh towards the, the Christian church and persecution is looming for them. 
And Peter wants them to be conducting themselves in every way possible to give them the best possible platform to have a peaceful, quiet life and to be able to witness effectively to those around them. And minority groups like these guys were are often in danger of being viewed negatively by the sort of majority groups, aren't they? I think it still happens today. Though, so they were viewed as a sect, as what's going on there, sort of viewed suspiciously, viewed with concern. You know, what are these guys about, this new sect, these Jesus followers, or the way they were called earlier on in the sort of, as it got again in Scripture, you know, do we really like them? They're not like us anymore. That produces concerns. You know, it produces a them-us feel, doesn't it? Mine, that's what happens in minority groups. And Peter wants them to submit to those around, partly to say, because it's going to be their best platform for the gospel and for your lives. Uh, I, before I came to London, I lived in a town called Gravesend. Gravesend has uh, a large minority Sikh community as part of it. And I remember as a kid, uh, and, and growing up as a teenager, that you would obviously pick up on, if you like, the majority cultural sort of community feel, some of the negativity around the Sikh community. That sort of them, us feel, the sort of suspicion that can ar arise, often around uh, language, because some of the sort of first-generation Sikhs um, in the Sikh community didn't speak English, and you know that produces awkwardnesses and can escalate to feeling quite negative about the community. They're not trying, they're not trying to um, integrate, they're not trying to be part of our community. What are they therefore doing? What is going on with them? And there's this kind of general sense in which, just say it wasn't terrible, I don't think, Gravesend got along fine, and I'm going back 25 years now, but uh, you, could, you would feel it, and you could pick up from different people that sort of attitude, that sort of suspicious uh, thing that was going on. Now, I went to school in the area, obviously, with, therefore, lots of uh, Sikh lads. I was in an, an all-boys school, and, of course, none of that's going on. When you get close, when you get to know them, when it's integrated in that sense, none of that was happening at all. And you know, play rugby together, do your schoolwork together. It's it's all or not do your schoolwork together, but it's all it's all just you know normal. And just think, that's kind of what can happen to minority groups, can't it? Suspicion can come in where difference becomes dangerous. And this was uh, the danger for these guys. They were the new Christian sect. It was pagan all around them, and in many many ways, uh, they were viewed with suspicion and weren't liked. Now, although our roots different, I do genuinely believe there are strong similarities, actually, for us, rather than strong difference. Everything about Christianity in the UK, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say everything, really, but in so many ways, Christianity in the UK is in decline. And uh, it's sort of not much, it can sound a bit negative and sort of, surely God's sovereign and great, and we obviously believe that, but it, in many respects, it's worth understanding that Christianity in the UK is in decline, and we are increasingly, and are in, in, many, in many ways, we're sort of a minority group, you might say. Not quite like these guys, anything like, but there are similarities, it's worth us pausing and thinking through. So surveys, sort of UK census surveys and stuff, just church numbers are generally in decline. Actually, in London, that's not quite true more recently, but across the nation, that's still true. Church attendance, church numbers are in decline. But also, uh, culturally, we're becoming less and less Christian. So when people do serve saying, tick, what religion are you or whatever, the percentage of people that are ticking Christian, of course, I'm not saying they're all born again, but that's dropping really quite rapidly. And the percentage of people that are ticking no religion is increasing quite rapidly. The, our culture is shifting enormously. And 
Christianity can often be viewed uh, negatively, you know, bigoted, suspiciously, uh, ignorant, not almost upholding British values, whatever they are. I think in the news, you know, it's a specific example of a person, but what's happened um, with Tim Farron, the ex leader of the Liberal Democrats, whatever you think about his decision and the party and everything, is a case in point there where he obviously had come to a point where he'd felt that the sort of party's values and his Christian values were clashing, he couldn't make them work. And obviously some people said, that's ridiculous, you're supposed to be liberal, surely you've got to be accepted. Because many others have said, well, that's because Christian values aren't liberal, they're too conservative, we don't like them, and you know, might use words like bigoted. And it just illustrates it, it was hard. So he wasn't a slave, obviously he was in a position of quite a lot of power and authority. But still in some ways, he was a minority in terms of the culture around him, even the culture of the organisation he was leading. And I think that's a good reflection on where something of Christianity is in this nation. And Peter says here, so it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It's quite strong language, isn't it? So clearly there was going on around them, there was ignorant talk from foolish people that is likely to cause trouble for the Christian communities that Peter was writing to because they could be the minority group viewed with suspicion. And he's saying, but the submission to the authorities, the doing good, the living well in society... The verses that it cuts following on from the verse Dave read um, w- was preaching on last week. Let your good work, um, let your good work shine, so that um, even the pagans will glorify God. So it's a, a misquote there, but of the, the the essence of it. It's following on from that. By doing good works, by integrating well, you might say, by being submissive, you're going to create the platform that's going to silence that ignorant talk. And you're going to therefore have opportunity, great opportunity to be genuine witnesses viewed more clearly without all the stuff coming in, all the suspicions, all the ways that people start thinking that maybe isn't true and isn't helpful. Now, a few weeks ago, we heard uh, a couple of people on a Sunday talk about that in their work context, they are... Uh, not allowed, at almost an official level, they're not allowed to talk about Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. And so just to say, what's it look like to be submissive there? There's the minority culture again. The opportunity to talk about Jesus, to be religious or Christian or whatever, is kind of, you know, it's not viewed positively. So they're shutting down on those things, not just Christianity, of course. So is it what submission look like? The Bible's saying submit, and yet we're called to tell people about Jesus. Well, I'd, I'd just like to say, Peter himself um, di- didn't do what he says here, you might say, in certain contexts. So early in the book of Acts, Peter and John have been speaking about Jesus to people, and they've got in trouble with the authorities, the religious authorities, the day, but they were the authorities running the show around Jerusalem. And they call him in. So it says in Acts chapter 4 from verse 18, the authorities called them in, and again, uh, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So it's pretty direct, pretty clear cut. They're the authorities not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And obviously they carried on speaking about Jesus. Again, ultimately, maybe it's helpful to think of this. This is all in the context of submission to God. 
and where authority, human authority, clearly steps out of bounds with the authority of God and what he's calling us to, then God wins. Maybe it sounds a bit too simplistic. And of course, in the context, you will need a lot of wisdom and grace and understanding of this. And going back to the two uh, testimonies that shared about not being able to speak of Jesus in their own work context, both were finding ways of doing it in a, in a submit, but with a submissive attitude, I would say, in the work context. They weren't trying to be rebellious. They weren't trying to undermine things. They were just trying to figure out the best way of following Jesus and reaching out to people with his love. And if you remember those stories, and the d- it was, they were very encouraging and uh, quite powerful. So you might say submission here is the normal, the normal platform, but maybe not total in terms of all that God's calling us to. But I think the principle holds true. And Peter's heart, I believe, in this passage is to help the gospel go forward and for the witness of the Christians to be a good one. Because the reverse is clearly true as well, isn't it? We, I'm sure we've all come across news articles or heard stories where Christians, as witnesses, have done things, say, shout abuse at abortion clinic users as they go by. And you're, I, I imagine most people in this room, I kind of hope so, are thinking, that's not a helpful witness. It's not submissive. And there's virtually nothing useful or good about that at all. And that's going to hinder the voice of Jesus through us in society, not help it. Maybe it's an easy one to pick out. It tends to be more in America rather than here, I think. But, uh, you know, that, so the reverse is obviously true. The submission of our hearts figured out wisely in God is going to help us create a strong and good platform for the message of the gospel to go out in your workplaces, in your communities, and ultimately in our nation, which in so many ways is in turmoil at the moment. I, I was sort of, um, I, I wasn't quoting directly, but I was, um, I, I had been reading stuff on the survey census about church numbers in decline, uh, church culture, uh, Christian culture in decline in terms of more people stopping ticking, I'm Christian, starting ticking, no religion. In terms of, this is going back over probably 30, almost 40 years worth of surveys and census. Where Christianity is apparently growing at a sort of a national scale is the amount of uh, good work stuff that's going on through churches and Christian organisations. And there are, and there's been surveys along these lines, there are more uh, Christian uh, man-hours put in in terms of serving communities than there used to be. It's grown. And if you can remember a long way back, we had a guy from the EA speak to us saying there's this um, sort of uh, schizophrenic response at government levels of Christians. In some ways, they don't want us because it's awkward because some of our values don't fit with them, but they do want us because there's so much good going in through the nation Now, obviously, that's more than just submissive attitudes, but to encourage us is as we do, it's happening in this nation, I would say, as we are doing good, there's a real genuine sense that across the nation, some of the ignorant talk about us is being silenced and people aren't sure what to make of Christians. And it's a big thing to say, and obviously I don't have a a monopoly on this kind of statement, but if we want to see revival in this nation, to see people in the UK turn back to Jesus in great numbers, flock to him, and I think we do, don't we? Then I would picture that is far more likely to come about in a, in a, in a, con, uh, in a submissive culture of the church to society as broad as possible. That's submissive and conducive and as honouring as it possibly can be without dishonouring our God ultimately, rather than one that is antagonistic and awkward. And I'm sure you'd agree with that. And I think this is Peter's heart here. So what's that going to look like in your context again? 
to give you the platform in your workplace, in the communities where you live, to serve, to do good works, and yet to be able to speak out from that platform of where there are challenges to society. Obviously, I'm not saying that everything, our message is totally fitting with wh what society wants to hear. It isn't. We're calling people to repent from their sin. And that's never gone down, down well in any of church history, not just in our culture now. But the more we can serve, the more we submit, the more our good works will shine through, the better the platform I believe we can have. So just finishing off a couple of um, so areas of spiritual growth for us. Because I hope we're thinking, I want to be submissive. I want to work that out in my context. I want the wisdom of God for that. And I want to see the gospel go forward from that. Peter says towards the end, he says to these guys, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. I think there's two spiritual truths that you can, if you like, go away and reflect on for your life and talk to God about to help build us up to live the life, the sort of lifestyle described in this passage. The first one is the freedom Jesus has called you to. The second one is the slavery Jesus has called you to. Now in this passage, it seems that the emphasis is on um, it, uh, just is, is Peter, sorry, Peter is wanting to make sure that these slaves who know they're free don't live in such a way as the freedom they've got in Jesus causes trouble around them. So the emphasis is on submission and living as God's slaves and, and that sort of thing. Because you can picture, can't you, for the slaves, they don't have much in this world. Obviously, I don't know any of their exact situations, their personal details. But you think, they haven't got much of a hook in the world now. So when they hear the gospel message and accept it, that Jesus has set them free from this world for a home in heaven, and that actually their lot now is not their lot forever, but there's a glory to come, I just, I just even, you can, can begin to picture a bit what that would do in the heart of slaves, of people that have, to have so little in the here and now. Peter, in the book, has often referred to the church's writing as aliens or foreigners or exiles. These guys really seem to have understood that actually their home is not here, it's in heaven. That's where th their citizenship is. Here they're just passing through and they are rejoicing in that and really wanting to live accordingly. And actually for us, maybe sometimes we've got, because we're not slaves, and we've got maybe quite a lot of vested, in vested interest in the world today. Many of us have got quite a lot of stuff and you know the whole way we live our lives. And I think it's a huge challenge, spiritual growth area for all of us, I'm sure. What does it mean for us to grow in an understanding of the freedom Jesus has called us to, to live as exiles in this world? That our home is in heaven and that we're just passing through. There's nothing here we can hang on to. There's nothing here we need to worry about. And, and, just, and the whole sense of, therefore, the ability in our hearts to live well for Jesus and to follow him because we've been cut off from the things that hinder us. And I think it's just an area of growth for all of us. In some ways, we, we know that, don't we? But secondly, as well, there's the, almost like the reverse that, the slavery Jesus has called us to. Now, slavery is a strong word, or the serving Jesus has called us to. And Peter says, you live as free people, but live as God's slaves. The apostle Peter, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, is an apostle with a huge amount of authority. 
and built churches, uh, you know, established churches, did miracles, expected people to, you know, wrote scripture, expected people to follow him. It seems one of his favorite designations of himself in terms of what God had done wasn't apostle, it was bond slave, some versions put it, put it or servant of Christ. What he seemed to treasure, what seemed to be a big driving sort of thing in his heart was the fact that he was there as a servant of Jesus. What Jesus said, he did. Where Jesus commanded him to go, he went. What Jesus wanted for him, you know, was what he wanted to therefore go and do. And he was a free guy. He preached that gospel of freedom, but he knew that that freedom had brought about him into a relationship with Jesus where he'd been brought at a price and therefore he's called to live as a slave and submit to him, just like this verse in Peter is saying. See, Jesus set us free by becoming a servant. So we are free in him. But his servant heartiness to serve us, to be obedient to the Father, to dying on the cross for us, submitting himself to that, to be raised three days later, is therefore clearly our example. We are called followers of Jesus. And therefore we are free in him and called to follow in serving like he served. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And these are the footsteps we fall in and follow in. And I'm clear again for all of us, there's always, please go away and reflect. If you like personally talk to God about it. What's that? What's he calling you to? The attitude, that heart of living as a servant, walking in the freedom, but submitting to God and therefore submitting to human authorities. We, we are different, aren't we? We are here to influence uh, salt and light in the world to win the world back to Jesus. Um, but we don't march around in triumphalism. Yeah? We're free, we're cut off from sin, you poor things elsewhere. It's that to live as slaves to Christ, following him, obeying him, serving the people around us. That's going to be a platform, I believe, that will give us the opportunity to then witness to people effectively where they'll listen to our voice. Because many of the things we're saying, you know, it's the minority voice now. The things that we're standing for, we've got to find ways of showing our love and our service to people so that the message we've got is coming through more and more clearly to people. That's what we want, isn't it? Amen. Thank you. Would you just like to stand? I'd just like to pray for us as a church. And I guess I'd love to just a, a, a fresh sense We've almost like the commission of God on us again to just go into the world, into your situation, your family situation, your workplace, your community, filled with a sense of I'm free to serve Jesus, therefore I'm serving and submitting to those around with all the wisdom God has for you. And Jesus, I pray, will you fill us again with your spirit, Lord, to send us out, Lord, like sheep among Wolves, you said, Lord. And yet we're called to be innocent, innocent as doves, but wise as serpents, Lord Jesus. And I pray that for us, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I just thank you in so many aspects. We live in a great part of the world, Lord Jesus. There, we have such freedoms here. Uh, there's such a lot that's going for us in that sense, Lord. But we recognize there are challenges, Lord God, 
and we want to serve and submit well, Lord, to be a, a great witness to you, Lord Jesus. I pray for the church in this nation, Lord Jesus, that we would become increasingly known, Lord Jesus, for the good works we're doing, for the submission, for the serving of people, Lord God, that would silence uh, ignorant food, uh, talk about Christians, Lord God, about Christianity, that would be a great platform for the gospel going forward. And I pray for us here, Lord, for City Hope, Lord Jesus, that in our situations we would be able to do that in our world, in our bit, Lord God, that our offices, our communities, Lord, the way we live our lives, the way we serve our bosses, the way we submit to those around us, Lord Jesus, would just be a wonderful platform for the gospel going forward with us. Fill us with your spirit, give us your boldness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.